So it's the offseason for the Orioles, which means it's time to start looking back on what was a magical 2022 season. And that begins our player review series for the year here on the podcast. And today we start with maybe the best story of this Orioles season, the mountain turning into the closer for the Orioles. We'll break down Felix Bautista's season with our guest Ryan Blake coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Wednesday, October 12th, 2022. And welcome back into the Locked On Orioles podcast. I'm your host, Connor Newcomb, joined by Ryan Blake today. He is the co-host of Give That Fan a Podcast with Paul Valley, covering all things Orioles and other pod that you should check out as well to get your O's fix here in the offseason. We're going to be talking about Felix Bautista and his fantastic season this year. But first of all, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us back here on the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. It's good to be back. I know we uh, we did a player review last year as well. I don't remember who I, I did, but I'm excited to talk about the mountain this week. I mean, unless you had Cedric Mullins last year, it probably wasn't nearly as fun as this one's going to be. I think that's that's pretty easy to say. Yeah, I don't I don't think I had Mullins. I think it was some pretty nondescript. Might have been a, a cluster of relief pitchers, maybe yeah. a few starters, but nothing to write home about. Yeah, yeah, the last couple of years I've done this, I felt the need to cluster players together because there was just so many guys who didn't matter that much or just didn't have great seasons. And now all of a sudden you look up and down and you go, I have a positive thing to say for maybe all 26 guys or 28 guys that ended the year on the active roster. And so splitting them up a little more. So we'll just be talking about Felix Bautista on this episode, his incredible rise through the Orioles system and becoming the closer this year. But we're recording here on Tuesday evening and just wanted to hit a couple of topics before we get to Felix. First of all, Initial thoughts on Scott's service going to Robbie Ray out of the bullpen to close out game one against the Astros. And of course, it backfires. Jordan Alvarez hits a missile into the second deck to walk it off. But a little perplexing, maybe, of a decision. Yeah, you know, I, I, I found myself pulling for Seattle and then they go to Robbie Ray against Jordan, who I, 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 I understand the lefty-lefty matchup, but Jordan hits lefties very well. And uh, it's it's Robbie Ray is not the easiest guy to root for after his, his history with the the Jays. And we all know the the saga with Brandon Hyde last year and the yelling from the dugout and all that stuff. So I was pulling for the Mariners, but it, it didn't really hurt me to see that home run off of Robbie Ray to end it. Yeah. And, and, and the Mariners have such a good bullpen. Now, the one thing they don't have is kind of that lockdown lefty lefty guy. It's the one thing they they kind of don't have in their pen. They do not have a CNL Perez to go get and, and firing stuff from the left side. I get that you use your bullpen differently in the playoffs and you use your starters out of the pen. And with how poorly Robbie Ray pitched in Toronto, maybe they don't even want to start him in this series. So I guess they're trying to use him in a different role, but uh, that was tough to watch. It's, it's a weird rooting series. Like where do you fall? Because the Mariners are the Cinderella story, but I want to see Trey get a ring and, and he may not ever have a better chance than this. So kind of, I, I know you said, you said you found yourself rooting for the Mariners. Do you think that'll continue throughout this series? Do you think you'll root for the Astros more if they move on? Uh, well, all right. Here's the thing: uh, if in a vacuum between these two teams, I would rather see Seattle make a playoff run, just because they haven't been there in so long. Houston has been good for; they've been in the playoffs the last six years. They're consistently one of the best teams, if not the best, in the American League. So, for that reason, I'm kind of tired of seeing them in the playoffs. Of course, now they have Trey, 
They have a couple other guys that, you know, I'm a, I'm a Jordan fan. I like Kyle Tucker a lot, but yeah, like you said, this might be the best opportunity for Trey to get a world series ring. And so for that reason, I wouldn't be disappointed to see them go on, but I, I, plus I think they have a better shot to take down the Yankees. And so any team that would keep the Yankees out of the world series again, is is fine in my book so I, I i still find myself rooting for seattle but i wouldn't be disappointed either way i don't have a strong vested interest yeah i definitely found myself like a little disappointed at first when that ball was off the bat of alvarez before realizing how cool that moment was in that crowd i feel like i'm probably pulling for the mariners a little bit but what will make it easy if it does end up being houston and new york in the alcs that's going to be an, an easy route for for trey and the astros and then you know, maybe if it's Astros Braves, you know, maybe I'd rather not see a, a you know, a repeat champion. Maybe I can f- pull for the Astros. I can just what they need is Trey Mancini to do something cool to help them win a World Series, because if he's like oh for 14 and he's benched in the World Series and they win, that's not going to feel great. Yeah. Oh, for four tonight with a big strikeout is the go ahead run in the bottom of the eighth. But, you know, uh, you, you want him to do well. He's he's such an easy guy to root for, especially as as Orioles fans. So. You know, like you said, it'd be nice to see him make some type of contribution and not just be one of those guys who's along for the ride. And then before we get to Felix, we had some breaking Orioles news right before we started recording. Uh, Liftoff has begun, apparently, for Michael Elias this (laughs) offseason. No, it's another waiver claim that uh, for a guy who, if I was a betting man, I would say would not even be with this team in spring training, maybe. But we will see. Uh, The Orioles claim Jake Cave, the outfielder left-handed hitter from the Minnesota Twins. They have DFA'd Jake Reed to make room, so uh, they had to hit their Jake quota on the 40-man roster. Uh, Reed, you know, many people remember the sidewinding reliever who was okay for a while and then wasn't, and then was sent to AAA. And Jake Cave, kind of been a fourth outfielder for Minnesota. Do you have any thoughts before we talk about a much more exciting player on the (laughs) Orioles? I mean, not really. He, he, he doesn't move the needle for me one way or the other. Um, it's, I think it's a better signing than, uh, Brett Phillips at, at the trade deadline. He's probably uh, better Brett Phillips. Yeah. But I, I don't want Jake cave taking any playing time away from any of the guys we currently have. So yeah. I, 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 you know, he's on the 40 now as, as a waiver claim, maybe he, he stays out of spring training, but you know, I, I, I don't think this move makes a, a big impact one way or the other. Yeah, he's 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 a little better Brett Phillips. He's he's a left-handed Ryan McKenna sort of. Um, he's a good defender in the outfield, just can't really hit, um, which you know is is important in the game of baseball. Um, but he could, I could honestly see the reason for this move being the Orioles think they can pass him through waivers again, like they've done with a couple of relievers this year, where they claim him, they never send him to the big leagues, they waive him again. We just saw that with a guy in Anthony Castro who they had claimed during the season, never pulled him up to the big leagues, just waved him. Nobody claimed him. Now he's in AAA. Now you can maneuver him a little more, work on a new pitch, whatever you want to do. You know, maybe they want to, they see something in cave. They want to work with the swing, see if you can get him through waivers and and get him on a, you know, a, a big league invite. Again, this is not the off season moves that are going to uh, keep us occupied. Hopefully when we get to uh, November and December, there should be a lot more exciting things to talk about, including Felix Bautista, of course, who had an unbelievable season for the Orioles, finishing the year as the closer. And really, I would argue a top 10 closer in baseball when it was all said and done this year. But that is something we will get to with Ryan Blake coming up here in just a second. But first, got to tell you about Roan, because they're a great dress shirt company. The dress shirt, it was due for a radical reinvention. So Roan stepped up to the challenge. 
Roan's commuter shirt is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible shirt known to man. And here's why. Roan's comfortable four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility. It leaves you free to enjoy what life throws your way from your commute to work or 18 holes of golf. And looking good is easy. You can feel confident with a wrinkle-free shirt without the hassle. And it's got gold fusion anti-odor technology, so you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. And on top of that, Roan, 100% machine washable. That makes your life a little bit easier as well. So the commuter shirt gets you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. So head to roan.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on to save 20% on your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order. When you head to roan.com, that's R-H-O-N-E.com slash locked on, use code locked on. It's time to find your corner office comfort. So we're here with Ryan Blake. Give that fan a podcast. He talks all things O's over here. We talk all things O's here on Locked on Orioles as well. And today we're talking Felix Bautista, reviewing his 2022 season, the first of our long player season review series here on the podcast. And, you know, in the past here, Ryan, I've given out grades to guys. We're going to do that from time to time on this series. But I feel like as we start with Felix Bautista, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, he's got to be almost the closest to an A-plus in terms of what you expected from the beginning of the year to what he was on this Orioles team. I think you're right. You know, you can't talk about Felix Bautista without looking back at his story. You know, signed by the Marlins in November of 2012. He's there for a couple of years, ends up being released. He's out of pro baseball for about a year and a half, signed with the Orioles, spends about five more seasons in the minors, comes up and out of nowhere becomes one of the best relief pitchers in baseball. And I think he kind of became a safety blanket that allowed the Orioles to trade their closer at the time in Jorge Lopez and then slot Felix effortlessly into that role. And, you know, he's a big imposing presence. He's he's listed at 6'5", 190, which isn't even close. I, I heard last year he was 6'5", 270. He may have even bulked up a little more, grown a couple more inches. He's probably taller than that, yeah. <laughs> probably. But in any event, you know, it's – yeah, you, you you can't break down his season and think he's anything less than an A. Um, and I think I think A plus is reasonable if you consider the expectations coming into the season and how he took off and ended up with one of the best closer entrances in the game of baseball. And and hopefully he's here for 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 a while. Yeah, Bautista seems to fall into this category of kind of combinations of the Duquette regime and the Elias regime, kind of coming together to make this Orioles team better. Obviously, he was brought in in the Duquette regime. Now, it's not like they signed him and said, you're a big league ball player right now. They signed him when he was still in rookie ball, and he was in rookie ball for a while, but they held on to him. And then the Elias people get in, and whatever they did to fix that command. I mean, the craziest thing about Felix Bautista, Ryan, you look at the walk numbers for this guy. All right, 3.15 walks per nine this year. Only once in his minor league career, he was pitching in the minor league since 2013. Only once did he have a lower walk rate than that. That was in rookie ball, his fourth year in rookie ball. You would hope your fourth year in rookie ball, you could maybe find the strike zone. All the way back then in 2017, he had 2.96 walks per night. Every other year, astronomical walks. And something clicked in that delivery with that big body that all of a sudden 102 with the wipeout change started finding its way into the strike zone. And for a lot of guys, there's so much more that goes into getting better. 
you almost look at him and you say, he definitely matured, which helped him. But was it as simple as just finding the strike zone to turn him into a dominant major league closer? I think it might be that simple. Um, and I, I had something similar in my notes as well. You know, obviously walks per nine and walk percentage are different because they, you know, different things can mess it up based on how many batters you're facing, et cetera. Um, his, his 9.1 walk percentage this season was his lowest since 2018 when he pitched 27 innings in the Dominican summer league. And so, you know, a little discrepancy there with the walks for nine, but you look at it 3.15 in the major leagues this season. And that was the big concern with Felix, right? He was upwards of five per nine, each of his last two seasons in the minors. And so you think he's going to be one of those guys who comes in almost like a Tanner Scott, where he can strike guys out, but he can't control anything in the zone. Connor, his, his walks per nine entering September was 2.48. He was, he was on pace to shatter his, his professional number there, I guess, and uh, struggled a little bit in September. He ended up walking seven in seven and two thirds innings, but yeah, his ability to stay in the zone gets a lot of chases. Uh, it's, it's exciting. And it, it seems like something clicked, whether it has something to do with Chris Holt, you know, he's, he's been able to throw hard for a while, not quite a hundred until about last year, but yeah, uh, you know, being able to attack the zone and even when he makes a mistake pitch, when a hitter is sitting on one Oh two, and then they get a, even a hanging splitter at 91 up in the zone, they're not going to have much success against that pitch. And so his ability to attack hitters in that manner definitely uh, served him well this year. And you could have even seen a world where the walks were still an issue, but he was still at least a productive major league reliever just with that stuff. You're going to give him a chance. But you look at the walk rate you mentioned, it ended up being 9.1%. I mean, the league average is right around 8%. So yes, he's a little above, but he wouldn't really be considered a guy with even a walk problem in his first major league career. He's just, you know, walks a little bit more than average. But when you're striking out 35% of batters, well, that makes, you know, any problem with those 9% walks just completely go away. Now, you, you know, looking at, at kind of his, his role throughout the season, you know, his first outing comes in the second inning of a game in Tampa Bay. And by the end of the year, he's closing out games, 15 out of 17 saves for the Orioles. Do you, you know, it's hard to pinpoint and go back through 162 games and remember a game where you realized it, but did you see that first outing and say, all right, they got something here? Or did it take until he moved into the ninth inning? Kind of at what kind of general point during the season did you kind of realize the O's found something more than just like a hard-throwing middle reliever here? To me, honestly, and I, I don't want to act like I saw any of this coming because I didn't, but looking at his numbers from last season, you know, he was he was promoted to Norfolk the same time Adley Rutschman was, the same day. It was almost the same transaction. Um, and, you know, he, was, he wasn't giving up hits. The walks were still a concern, but he was striking out just about everybody. And, you know, coming into this season, I actually made a, a, a bold prediction before the year that Bautista would set the Orioles strikeouts per nine record among qualified relievers. And he didn't quite get there. He ended up sixth uh, with, with a 30 inning minimum. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, it, it kind of was a gradual progression into you know, like you said, his first appearance was in the second inning, and then suddenly he's he's the setup guy, and then Lopez gets traded, and he's slotted right into the ninth. So I, I can't pinpoint a specific time when I realized, oh, Felix is a dude, but I, I think it kind of all came together when the Orioles were willing to pull the trigger on a trade where they would get rid of their closer despite being a, a, a team in the wild card hunt. I, I think that's really when you kind of realize, oh, all right, this isn't a flash in the pan. You know, they think they have their guy in the system already. 
I think I kind of realized it when Jorge Lopez went through that little stretch in Minnesota where he had the back-to-back blown saves. And you could see, even though, you know, Jorge was having those, those tough outings, Felix that weekend, and he ended up, you know, helping to close out the one win in that series. And he had some big eighth innings before Lopez, you know, blew those games in the ninth. You just kind of realized, like, this isn't just a flash in the pan, half a good season. Like, he's got the stuff here to play. And the numbers, you look at the, the especially the, the you know, pitch arsenal numbers on, on baseball savant, and it's just ridiculous. I mean, opponents hit 088 against his splitter. And, you know, you have a fastball that's averaging 99.2. He got it up to 103. Guys are hitting just 200 against that pitch. And then I even like his slider, which guys squared up a lot more than his other two pitches. And, you know, he only threw it 12% of the time. That's why he only threw it that little amount. But he was throwing like a get-me-over slider at points. He had a lot of first-pitch sliders to guys that would fall in for strike one. And it's okay if that slider's not his strikeout pitch. It's clearly his other two offerings. But if he can toss in, you know, a slider at 85 on the first pitch when everybody is looking fastball splitter, even if it gets squared up from time to time, it's still a good offering. And you just look around baseball and just watching a lot of games this year, watching Orioles games, you didn't see many better pitches than his splitter. 53% whiff rate, 088 batting average against it. I mean, he literally pitched all season with that being a dominant pitch and he gave up eight hits. Like, I don't know if you see a lot of pitches around baseball better than that splitter. You really don't. And it's, he throws it and it looks like it wants to bore a hole in home plate. Um, And you pair that with a a fastball that I I haven't looked at these numbers recently, but I know in the middle of the season, there were, there was talk about how it had the best uh, vertical rise in the game, Um, you know, going against gravity. It didn't really impact it because he throws the ball so damn hard. Um, But, you know, when you compare those two pitches, with a, a slider that he can throw pretty much whenever he wants, even if he doesn't use it quite often, it's it's a good luxury to have where, you know, maybe he doesn't have a feel for his splitter. He can go to the slider every once in a while. And, you know, for a pitch that can be effective that he only needs to throw 12% of the time, it, you know, it, it's it's nasty. If you're, if you're up at the plate and you're expecting either a 102-mile-an-hour fastball at your hands or a splitter that's going to drop out of the zone and he comes in with a slider, it's 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 pretty unfair. So we're going to get to a little more on Felix Bautista coming up next here. But first, got to tell you about Built Bar. And you've listened to this podcast. You've heard much about Built Bars, all the delicious flavors of their great protein bars. But they've got another product as well. And if you haven't tried the Built Bar Puffs yet, you're depriving yourself of one of life's greatest joys. And guess what? There's a new flavor of these puffs. They are cookie dough puffs covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right. Built has done it again. The cookie dough chunk puffs are the first ever protein-infused marshmallow, tastes like cookie dough, covered in real chocolate, and they have chunks of real cookie dough in the marshmallow. It's an incredible treat, plus they're only 160 calories and a whopping 15 grams of protein in every puff. So run to Built.com to snag a box for you and the family. It is a perfect treat, or you can just hide them away for yourself. And of course, there's still the built bars with all their classic flavors, all their delicious flavors, the best tasting protein bar on the market. So go to built.com, use the promo code locked 15, and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, that is promo code locked on 15 for 15% off at built.com. So we're here with Ryan Blake going through our 2022 Orioles season review series talking about every impact player for the O's and we're starting with Felix Bautista here the mountain the closer 
I mean, I just wanted to get to this kind of before we finish up. Not only did he have a great season, but he's now got a walk-in song. He's got an entrance. You hear the whistle. The lights start to flash. I mean, you know, we had Zach Britton, and he was unstoppable. And you had Jim Johnson, and at times he was unstoppable. Felix Bautista feels like he could fit into that mold with maybe a longer shelf life than, than especially a guy like Jim Johnson had moving forward. But just in terms of like having that classic closer who scares you when he comes into the game, the Orioles have that now. Yeah, it's exciting. You know, I, you look back at, at Jim Johnson and coming into the pretender and then Zach Britton coming into for those about to rock. And I, I think Britton might have had for a brief period a little bit of a light show, but nothing like Felix coming into the Omar whistle and then, you know, the, the stadium flashes for a good 30 seconds while he gets his warm up pitches in. It's it's exciting. You know, you, you look at Edwin Diaz of the Mets who, you know, had the the trumpets and that video, I guess, went viral the first time it really happened in front of a packed house at City Field. And then, you know, it was just a couple weeks later that that videos of Felix coming into the Omar whistle are starting to circulate and. Yeah, it's it's exciting, you know. It's you, you get to the ninth inning and you feel safe because you know that the opponent is is coming in and looking at a six eight to six ten, two hundred seventy to three hundred pound figure coming in who's gonna just blow you away with the the best he can give you. Uh, yeah, it's it's very exciting and hopefully he's a guy who can be here for, you know, you want you want to say the better part of a decade and and really cement himself as one of the great closers in Orioles history. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but it's it's a lot of fun right now. Oh, it's it's plenty of fun right now. Listen, he's he's 27 years old. He's obviously an older rookie. When you spend 10 years in the minor leagues, that's going to happen. But the O's have him for a minimum of seven years right now. I see no situation in which he's not an Oriole on opening day next year. And as you talked about, you know, he did not pitch as well in September, and and of course had the you know the, the little nagging injury. They just kind of shut him down at the end of the year, and you know he he pitched. At the end of the year, seven and two thirds in September, not nearly as high a workload. He walked seven batters in those seven and two thirds, still struck out 12, but he gave up six runs and he gave up seven hits. You know, that was his highest hit per nine and, and walk per nine. And that with a lot of Orioles guys was just think him getting tired. I mean, he had never pitched a big league season, never a full season of that length and obviously never that many high leverage spots. And then he just got tired. You like that the strikeouts were still there and the velocity was mostly still there. I think it dropped a little bit at the end, which is, you know, why he was shut down also with the the little knee issue he had in New York as well. But moving forward, you know, we know relievers are so volatile and we've been super positive about Felix here and what's not to be positive about. I mean, you know, you look at what he did this season. He had a 2.19 ERA through 65 and two thirds innings. He had these ridiculous numbers. If there is a hiccup next year, what do you see potentially, you know, happening to him if there is some sort of hiccup. I'm not saying you know Felix is back in AAA next year mm-hmm. but if there is some sort of hiccup because relievers go through it all the time do you, do you can you pinpoint anything that you think could be the issue for him well the issue for him this year was and it's it's weird to say that this was an issue because it, it's not a big deal he gave up seven home runs and when you look at that across a full season seven home runs really isn't a lot of home runs but Connor he gave up six in his entire minor league career and so it's it's a little bit of a concern. He did give up, you know, a decent bit of hard contact, still less than uh, Edwin Diaz did uh, by by hard contact rate. But 
you know, that's that's the only real knock on Bautista's 2022 season. Moving forward, you know, if if he does start to struggle, I, I don't see him going back to AAA. Maybe they move him from the closer role for, you know, a month's time. But we saw it with Ryan Mountcastle in 2021. We saw it with Kyle Bradish this year. Guys who haven't found their groove yet, the Orioles seem to be letting them figure it out at the big league level. And so if Bautista does end up struggling with certain things, whether it's home runs or, you know, the walk bug comes back and gets him for, for a stretch, I hope they let him sort it out in maybe a little more comfortable position, but still in the Orioles bullpen at the big league level. Yeah, and, and I think 100% that is going to happen as well. Well, last thing about it, you know, we want to look forward to Felix and and to the positive. You know, give me a a percentage from zero to 100. What percent chance when we're having this conversation this time next year, are we talking about how Felix Bautista was still the great closer for the Orioles? And, you know, we're still looking at him as a great closer heading into 2024. What percent chance do you give that? Man, that's that's a tough question because you you look at a guy like him and the stuff is not just going to go away. It's it's only gotten better as he's gotten more experience as a professional, and it's it's hard to, you know, they, they say speed doesn't slump. I don't think velocity slumps much either. Now the counterpoint to that is look how bad Aroldis Chapman has been, uh, but you know Felix is is still young. He's still durable. Um, to give it a percent chance. I, I'm pretty confident. I I would probably put it about, gosh, this time next year, give me an 80% chance that we're still talking about Felix Bautista being a dominant closer. And that, I, think, I think that's, I think that's fair. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to jump it. I'll go 90. I'll say 90. Okay. I just I I have that. a feeling that he's going to struggle, like you said, and maybe he doesn't get every save opportunity. Maybe he'll need some time to you know take a break and get some lower leverage spots. But these closers go through these these peaks and valleys throughout their careers as well. And you've seen some guys, you know, like Kenley Jansen, for example. Obviously, he's much more of a veteran, but he had some some valleys with the Dodgers and, and lost his closer role for a while. He goes, you know, to Atlanta, kind of, you know, regroups a little bit. He's a closer again. And, you know, maybe that could happen to Felix, but I see this being a, a big part of the O's bullpen. And again, as you said, even if he's not this good for so long, that stuff's not going away for a while. So he's still going to be a great reliever, whatever role that he is in. But Ryan, thank you so much for joining us to start off our player season review series, talking about the mountain Felix Bautista cannot wait to see him back on the mound again in 2023. Before we let you go, let everybody know where uh, they can listen to you a little bit more and uh, find your podcast as well. Yeah. Well, I'm the co-host of give that fan a podcast with Paul Valley. Our episodes are uh, anywhere you get your podcast. We're also on YouTube. We've been streaming live to YouTube. Our last couple episodes, we'll be doing that to my uh, Orioles fan probs, Twitter as well. Every episode is posted on Utah Street Report, so there are plenty of places you can find us. Well, thank you, Ryan, and uh, it's always fun to talk Felix, and hopefully this offseason we'll see uh, bigger moves than Jake Cave, and uh, we'll have you on again soon. I think this is hardly the appetizer, man. Looking forward to a fun offseason. So our thanks again to Ryan Blake for joining us. He mentioned his co-host, Paul Valley. He's going to be on the podcast later this week, continue this series. He's talking about Ryan Mountcastle and maybe what was a little bit of a down season at times, but why the underlying numbers show that Mountcastle should be ready to break out again in 2023. But that's all coming up later this week on the podcast. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.